0: and then at the end of the four months or earlier if we can, the bank sends in their appraiser, they look at the original quote, they check all the boxes to say, yep, he did this, he did this, he put it in the kitchen, they put a new bathroom, the exhaust paper, whatever, whatever things are on the quote.
1: You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you wanna live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.
2: Hey, Right Club Nation. It is Sarah Larby and Alfonso Zalemi here, and we are back for another exciting episode this week. Hey, Alfonso, how are you?
3: Hey, I'm doing great, Sarah. How are you?
2: Great, great. So it's uh, it's Sunday morning. I feel like this is our, our ritual now. But you know, we're recording a lot, so that maybe in July and August we can uh, not record and fully enjoy our weekends.
3: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We're only going to record in the summer if we're on location on like a uh nice warm beach or a cottage maybe somewhere on the beach. Yes, yeah.
2: maybe yeah. one of our cottages. Not that we don't enjoy doing this, but it's going to be nice to be able to get away for a little bit when it's warm.
3: That's right. That's right. And you know what? Having I'm having so much fun recording these podcasts, interviewing such amazing people that are doing all kinds of amazing stuff. And today, Scott's interview is really great. I know, you know he's kind of in the same boat as you, right? Still working a full-time job, but uh, definitely working the side hustle, investing, knowing that you got to you got to start somewhere you know he he said it in the podcast regrets a little bit starting late but there's no time like now there's no reason to start somewhere start learning start figuring it out seeing what's the best for you and and take that step right
2: absolutely and you know there's no such thing as late because at the end of the day i mean he still has lots of time forward ahead of him and you know what's really cool is uh, recently he went to part-time And so I want to say that's a huge accomplishment to be able to take a full-time career. He's been in the corporate world for 25 years and recently was allowed to take his full-time work in the office. And be able to do it remotely on a part-time basis. So it's uh, it's really inspiring. Like he's an awesome guest and I love his strategy. The burst strategy as you guys know is my fave, but he's doing it with basement conversions and so we get to hear what some of his insights are, what he looks for in terms of basement conversions and also hear some good and some bad stories because he's had some bad ones when it in the past as well, where great learning experience, but not always a rainbow innocent butterflies.
3: That's right, that's right, yeah, and he talked about it, even the rent to own, right? Obviously, when that's basic, you're all different. As soon as I say, oh yeah, I do rent to own, everybody's got some type of story, and, you know, and it really breaks it down to show the difference of, you know, you can dabble in different things, or you can specialize, or you can kind of do a little bit of a combination of both, but it's doing it and getting that experience and going out there and trying again, and learning from the first mistake so the second deal is easier and the third deal is easier and, and I know as you scaled up your portfolio Sarah from the first couple that you did and then you know you kind of met the mortgage broker and then done the other ones that you put systems in place and now you even take it to another level where you're sharing your systems and, and coaching and training a lot of people out there to do that for themselves which is so amazing so yeah really quickly just kind of maybe tell our listeners because we were kind of talking about it a little bit but yeah you're your coaching program and your training is so awesome for those people that have yet to get that first one. It's someone walking through them, guiding the steps for those things that you've already put in place, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anyone is interested, take a look at my website, which is com, and then all of the information is there. And I do get asked a lot about my tenant screening, so I made it like a mini course on Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y. It's a few yeah. dollars, you know, it's not very expensive, but if you guys are interested, send me an email and I will send you a link for 50% off the course. But um, yeah, no, thanks for bringing it up, Alfonso. What, ha- what have you been up to? Are you starting the coaching piece? Or there's, a- I know a lot of people that are asking you about this rent-to-own stuff.
3: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, by the time this podcast comes out, probably the coaching should be kind of somewhat in place and showing people the benefits just because there are so many moving parts about rent-to-own. That's like the one like common question, I swear. It's going to be like on my tombstone. How does rent-to-own work, right? And there's so many pieces to unpack, whether you are operating it, you're investing in it, where to buy, the clients, all those different types of things. So definitely doing a little bit more of that and explaining a little bit more, helping our investors feel more secure. And Scott was a great example that he wasn't too sure about the rent-to-own, but he still did it. But yeah, and again, uh, along with, with JAG, there's also Op is the Canadian Association of rent to Own Professionals. So we've been really forged together with some of the best in the industry across Canada the biggest and best rent to own companies and putting more standardized stuff in place so that anybody that, that wants to get kind of get into this rent to own market there is a good template to follow so that it can be successful for everybody involved and it does eliminate you know let's call them the shysters out there that call themselves rent-to-own companies or people but really are not and out there doing it for the wrong reasons. So yeah, that stuff has been uh, developing more and more and yeah, more news to come on that. By the time this podcast airs, hopefully everybody already knows about it. So
2: That's awesome. I mean, you're, you, you're giving back to the community. I love it. I love that you're part of Care-Op. I mean, you're doing so many great things to to be able to help educate people and then to help put great families into great homes and ensure that they have all the necessary support to close on that property. So congratulations, and I know we cracked the 100th of them. I I don't know by the time that this airs how many you'll have, but I mean, I guess you're going to have a handful more at least.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're continuing to grow, working with partners, marketing. We love what we do and, and we love helping people. And, and even from, from an investment standpoint, we hear all this news that's going on with the interest rates. They're going up, they're going down, they're staying the same, they're doing this, they're doing that. that. It's just getting out there and getting in the market. It's a strategy that we found that works In up markets, down markets, people need to live somewhere the same way for the rental properties, right? People, if it's getting harder to qualify, well, that means more renters, right? So uh, it's good for our business. But just think of us as real estate investors who we like to think that, you know, we're educated or we're at least we're in the know about stuff that's going on. Think about all the people that don't invest, that are just your normal citizens, let's call them, that don't and the information that they get through the media. And what we're really trying to do is that we you can take control of your own finances, your own financial security through real estate, whether it's just owning your own house versus renting it. Right. So we're really trying to educate. And, and that's why I love the right club so much is that we're full, like the whole club we where all of us is, we all want to share. We all want to give that knowledge that if I made a mistake, I want to go and tell you and say, Hey, I made this mistake. Go don't go make the same mistake. It's up to you. If you want to go and do it, go ahead. But this is my experience this is what you need to do. and. Yeah and, and Scott was a great example of that of, of how he's doing it and what he's doing shared with the different key members of his team in their different roles and, and how to do it. So yeah I, I'm really excited about this podcast. I think it's going to be a good one and uh, yeah I hope you guys enjoy it.
2: All right let's play it. Hey
0: Scott how are you doing? I am doing awesome. How are you guys doing?
2: Excellent, excellent. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. You come to the Wright Club often and you've networked a lot and I wanted to provide the opportunity for people to, to get to know you even better and I'm sure they're going to be excited about all the insights and the knowledge that you're going to bring. Before we get started, can you give us a little bit of your background and uh, maybe in like 30 second, 30 foot view what it is
0: that you do? Sure. Well, I'm uh... Uh, My name is Scott Zanbrigan. I live in Georgetown, so just outside of the GTA or in the GTA here, north of Mississauga. Full-time corporate guy. been working for about 25 years and started my side hustle real estate about five years ago. And I think as is the case with lots of people, the side hustle starts to become a little bit more of your time, a little bit more of your time. And I'm loving it. I'm continuing to grow my portfolio and uh, add partners and things like that.
3: That's fantastic, Scott. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. So, tell us maybe a little bit how how you got started in, in, in the side hustle that you call, or, or how you got started in real estate.
0: Yeah. So for me, it was um, you know just being frustrated with the poor performance of my investments before I started in real estate. So you know I do what a lot of people do. I was contributing to RSPs through my employer, and you know you have to do that because when your employer matches what you put in, you're crazy not to, to do that. But as a result, I was really starting to watch the performance of those funds over five years and then 10 years and beyond. And I was realizing that the only growth that I was seeing in the, those that portfolio of, of money I'm putting in was the money that I was putting in every month, right? That's the only growth that was happening. It was really nothing happening from a market perspective. And so at one point, kind of the, the light bulb went off for me and said, I, I have to I have to grab the bull by the horns here and do something about this myself because just throwing your money into whatever fund and, and hoping for the best is just not a good strategy. So yeah, I just decided I'm going to learn this myself. Took, uh, took some courses, attended some networking groups. This goes back to probably early 2014 now, maybe even late 2013 and just started educating myself. And so that's, that's kind of how I got my start.
2: Okay. That's awesome. And now from the time that you started educating yourself and you said maybe this is a a better strategy than just
0: essentially losing money with inflation, just putting it into the market. What was your first deal? So the first deal, uh, I well, we moved really fast. So we bought three single family homes in the span of three months because I'm I'm one of these people that when I kind of get my mindset on something, I just do it. And I was really kind of kicking myself a little bit that I wasted so much time not doing anything. And, I, you know, at this point, like I know I've listened to a lot of the guests on your show and there, you know, there are a lot of folks in their 20s and 30s that have taken massive action. And I just am so envious that I didn't do it when I was that age. I started when I was about 40. Um, and, uh, and so for me, it was buying those first three single family homes within a span of three months. And at the time I was... I was only really interested in rent-to-own because that was that was a little bit more popular back then through the networking clubs that I was part of. And so I, I was essentially looking for rent-to-own or tenant buyers. And then that's a whole separate story how those kind of unfolded in the end, but we, we can get into that if you like.
2: Yes, let's get into that. <laughs>
0: That's yeah,
3: it. that's absolutely. You know? I, I love uh, I love talking about rent to own and the, the different strategies, the different ways people do it. So yeah, why don't you walk us yeah. through uh, a couple of those rent to owns?
0: Yeah, I know, mean, Alfonso, you're the you're the RTO master. So I uh, I wish I would have met you uh, five years ago. So I wouldn't say they they were bad. I think we probably, as first time investors back then, we make that common mistake of not vetting the tenant enough before putting them in the property, and. That's even more critical, I would say now in hindsight with a rent-to-own because they need to be a tenant buyer and they need to qualify for their own mortgage within that three-year term or or two to three or four-year term. And so of the three properties that we we were actively putting together as rent-to-own deals, one tenant changed their mind and decided to just go straight rent. And we were fine with that. And then the other two, we did rent-to-own deals. So the second one, which was a rent-to-own, after about 18 months, the tenant stopped paying rent. And so we started chasing him down and he was, he was communicating with us, said, Hey, you know, I'm unfortunately having a problem here. And so we just kind of came to a mutual agreement that you're going to have to go here. Cause obviously this isn't going to work out. So he left. And so then we re-rented that place to a straight rent tenant. That was, that was the second RTO down. And then our third RTO, which was still operating, went the full duration of three years so we were like, success. We got, we got our first rent to own. It's going to come to completion. We're going to sell this house per the agreement that we had on paper. And what happened in that case was, despite all of our best efforts of staying on top of that tenant buyer to get his credit approved and ready to get uh, financed and all of that, he kind of went dark in that final three to six months. We, he didn't communicate with us. He kept paying his rent. But then, but then suddenly things went really crazy. Like He missed the end of his term and he didn't he didn't fulfill his end so we ended up doing like a cash for keys and he had to go and we, we we actually ended up having to give him a fair bit of his money back to get him out but it was a situation where he just could not get financing he got a little psychotic on us let's just put it that way so he went away we moved on, we sold that house, and we did really well on it in the end. But uh, anyway, so those were, those were my first three. They were all rent-to-owns. Uh, I, from that point forward, I haven't really done any. I wouldn't be opposed to them. In fact, in this climate, I think with the new mortgage stress tests and whatnot, it might be, it might be worth looking at those again. Now that I'm a little savvier, I think, and have learned a lot, I might actually revisit that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and when, we talk, uh, when we talk about rent-to-own to anybody, we always say that is the most difficult part. It's not so much managing the property, Itself, it's it's managing the people and, and the yeah. clients involved and, and walking them through the through the program, and and it's tough because you know what's that old saying? You can lead the horse to water, but yeah. you can't make it drink. And yeah. you know we, we try to give our clients, and I'm sure you did as well too, with, with with your tenant buyers, every opportunity to improve their credit to help themselves out and get on that. But if they're not willing to help themselves, it's hard to predict that ahead of ahead of the rental own program. So yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of different ways. Uh, to go both, but like, I love the way that you're doing it. it was the tenant first tenant first mentality as well too, so.
0: I would say I learned a lot. That was a really, really good learning experience and in the end, we still had the asset, we still had the houses and two of them I still own to this day and, and they're, they're doing well. I mean, they're single family homes, so they don't cash flow super well because they're too more expensive to carry. But yeah, but look, good learning.
3: Yeah, and I think you mentioned your age and when you got started and we always talk about that, sure, the best time to buy real estate was yesterday, but the next best time is today. You, yeah. can, you can start today. You can go out and do that and, and, and get started in, in real estate in whatever strategy that is to get out there and to do it. And like you said, you're going to make mistakes. There's the second time, third time, fourth time around. There's going to be improvements that you make in your process to carry on to get that success. So I guess these days, so you know, you moved out from the rent to owns, you, you said you would entertain it, but what kind of strategy or what type of investing are you doing in your business right now?
0: Yeah. So my, my approach since then was that I've now moved exclusively into doing duplexes, right? So, so after those three first single family homes, we moved on and acquired, I think around five duplexes Uh, and every single one of those cases, these were houses that we did the duplex conversion on. Right. So, and I continue to be enamored with that approach because I think it's like, like any strategy, once you kind of figure it out, once you realize how best to to do it to get cash flow that you're happy with and to figure out how to finance these things it's like I just want to wash rinse repeat at this point right and I was just saying to Sarah before we started recording here that a few days ago got an accepted offer on another one, and it's just I, you start to you start to know what the what the right profile of a house looks like in your mind right so it's this kind of a bungalow, roughly this square footage these are the towns I'm looking in, and when I see that, I tend to want to move really really quickly right and then do the full Duplex conversion, get it legalized through the city, and then rent them out. And then, of course, I I do the traditional, you know, I like to refinance them as soon as the opportunity presents itself, pull out some money, and then roll that money forward into the next deal.
3: Hey, Right Club Nation. This week's sponsor is Emil Jelnik. Emil is a mortgage broker that has personally helped me grow my real estate portfolio and rent of own business for years now. The really cool thing is that he started out like most of us, with no property and no money. Over his investing career, he was able to accumulate over 200 units. The beauty is that with the meal, you not only get the mortgage you need, but you get investing advice from someone there that has been there and done it and has the experience.
2: Absolutely. Now, if you're just getting started, or perhaps you already have many properties, or even if you want to get into commercial investing, Emil can help you. And he's already helped many of our Right Club Nation listeners. He's very focused on helping you and our listeners meet their financial dreams. So if you wanted to reach out and call Emil, you can call him at 416-402- Seven four four eight, or visit his website, which is JellyneckMortgages.ca.
3: If you want to get to know more about Emil, you can check out his episode of our podcast, episode number twenty-one, and get to know Emil a little bit better yourself. But for now, back to the podcast.
2: That's really interesting. So I have a lot of questions about that, but on average, because I'm I'm looking at a few different options, and and that's one of the the things I would like to do as a a next opportunity with a JV that I have actually partnered with. And on average, like you've done five, you mentioned now. Yeah. yeah. What is the average cost? And I know it all varies, but the average cost of doing something like this.
0: It definitely varies. So I'll tell you at the top end, the most we've had to pay for a duplex was a pretty big footprint of a house. The, The top floor was about 1500 square feet. The basement was about 1100, maybe closer to 1200. That was a big one. And we spent... 85 or 90k on that one. That was a full build. We did a few things over and above, like we put a subfloor in, for example, in the basement because I wanted it to be resilient in terms of those leaking basements in the future. Like A lot of these houses have block foundations, so they, they sometimes will get a little bit of leakage come in. So a subfloor helps to alleviate some of that concern. I did a few things like that that cost a little bit more money in the end, put bigger windows in, you know, obviously you have to go to the, the egress style windows for permitting and for to pass the city inspection. So we did that throughout. So we actually went pretty, pretty nice touches through this particular one I'm thinking of right now. And in the end though, it turned out really well where we, we managed to rent it out and that particular basement, we get $13.95 a month on plus utilities and that was the top end. The low end, I would say, probably the lowest I've ever spent on getting a house legalized was probably about 50.
2: Okay. So, so 50 to 80 is, is on average. When you go to finance one of these, do you let your mortgage broker know ahead of time, okay, this is the property. This is what I want to do. I'm going to want to refinance. How does that work financially? Like for the financing piece?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I go into the conversation with, uh, with the broker around, Here's the deal. Let's say the house is $350,000. I will come to the broker with my quote from the contractor to say, "Okay, it's going to cost us 75,000, let's say, to do to convert it to a legal suite and to do whatever else we want to do. Maybe we want to put a new kitchen on upstairs or whatever that is." And I, I will go to the lender that way, and then the lender will, or sorry, to the broker, and the broker works to find a lender that will give me a purchase plus improvement mortgage, which is essentially where the the lender will finance up to 80% of the renovation costs. In the cases that I've seen, that usually maxes out at about $60,000 that I get back from the lender. And then, so they give you a four month window so that I do the renovation with my team. And then at the end of the four months or earlier if we can, the bank sends in their appraiser, they look at the original quote, they check all the boxes to say, yep, he did this, he did this, he put it in the kitchen, they put a new bathroom, the exhaust paper, whatever things are on the quote, If they are all done, the bank releases that money, right? So the 60k comes back to me. So now we've essentially mortgaged 60 thousand dollars of the renovation into the 30 year financing.
3: Now, are there certain milestones throughout like the construction period? Like, let's say you're doing like you said on the largest, the end, the 80 to 90 thousand dollar repair, where you're doing everything. Now, are there are somebody from the bank or from the lender coming in and checking and saying, "This is what he said he was going to do. This is what you're actually doing." How does that work to, to check off the box that you're actually doing what you're saying or how do they verify that?
0: Yeah, so in my experience, they don't come in midway to check on the status of a project. The broker that I work with tends to following up with me to say, hey, heads up, you got 45 days left. How are you tracking? So they're kind of on me a little bit to keep me accountable. And I'm well aware of it as well because I, I need that 60 grand back, right? So so they're keeping on top of me and then and then it really just comes down to the final appraisal. So when I think we're good, I let the broker know, I'll send in the appraiser, they come in and it's, and it's when it's all done. And you know, knock on wood, I, it's, it's been pretty smooth sailing so far, right? So they come in and they, again, they have the original document that I supplied when I got the financing in the first place and they just go through and they, it's been like within a few hours, the money is in my account. Wow.
2: So what would you yeah. do though? Let's just say for example, you borrowed the mortgage plus improvement 60 grand, but your house appraised a lot higher then how does it work to get a full refinance? Because let's just say your house you put in, you're all in 260, but maybe it's actually worth 400. Yeah. And I know you're not a mortgage broker, but just from your experience, maybe you can share.
0: Yeah, I actually have done that. So there was a house we had in Hamilton. This was about a year and a half ago now, where we did this exact thing. This was a house that did not have, uh, it was a a, a little bungalow, basement was unfinished. We put a suite in the basement. That renovation was probably 70,000. Actually, it must've been a little bit more than that because I think we got 60 back on that one, if I remember. And I think it has to be 80%. So anyways, we got the 60K back within four months of doing the project. And then about eight or nine months after that was all said and done, I was watching comps, right? To see what other legal duplexes are going for in Hamilton on the mountain. And they were showing a little bit above what mine was even after the 60K purchase plus improvement component was in there. So, and I was a little bit, I i don't want to say desperate, but I was—I lo- was looking for cash because I had another deal that I was that I needed to fund a renovation on. So I decided to take the plunge. I called the broker, I said, "Let's get another appraisal done." So you know you got to pay whatever that is, eight hundred dollars or something, to get that process going. So it's—it it feels like a bit of a gamble in a way, right? So you're going to bring in the appraiser. They came in and they appraised the place. I'm forgetting the actual numbers on this one, but it came in at somewhere like five hundred and ten thousand, which was forty k over what my other mortgage. LTV was at. So I pulled another 40 grand back on top of the 60 that I already had. Right. So so I kind of layered in that strategy, right? So I did the purchase plus improvement to finance the renovation, waited a little bit of time. There was appreciation that happened, and then I I pulled out more. So you, you can do it. You can do it. Time has to be on your side and the market has to be appreciating to make that all work.
3: For sure. And that appraisal is so important, right? At the end of your project, having that appraisal coming in and obviously verifying that original, in this case, the 60 that you're pulling out, and then And that's another additional 40 that you're able to pull out because of that. So maybe for our listeners, or, you know, I know Sarah has been comfortable and familiar with doing some construction to projects and and upgrading them and and being able to refinance, but what's maybe one cost that somebody like myself that doesn't do a lot of these renovations in houses and, and our rent to owns are pretty much turnkey. What's one expense that maybe I wouldn't think about, or was that more than you would have thought at the, you know, the beginning of the project?
0: I think the last one I did the design was kind of expensive, like when you have to have the, the people come in that design the, you know, for the permitting process. So we brought in somebody that did a couple of different scenarios. And I forget the actual number now, but I feel like it, was, it must have been three or $4,000 just for that alone. And then there was a gotcha. This, this is a house I'm thinking of that we have in Welland that we did. And the gotcha on this one was that there was another requirement by the city of Welland, which we had never seen in Hamilton, which was they needed an extra spec drawing for the HVAC. So they wanted to get all the drawings of the duct work and all that kind of stuff. And that was like another grand or something like that, like that, that we just did not, not account for. So it's those little administrative red tape kinds of things that have been the ones that have gotten me that now I know, right? So now I build in that slush fund when I'm planning this out. Yeah.
3: Those things that you can only learn by actually doing it or listening to our podcast and listening to (laughs) people like yourself that are actually doing it. Right.
0: That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Scott, what is your ideal duplex conversion look like? So I know, and I'm gonna preface this by saying all the municipalities, all the cities probably have different criteria on what they will approve or not. Maybe just give us a general idea in terms of like maybe parking and height and ceiling windows, yeah. et cetera. Can you let us know, like if somebody's new and they're like, hey, I want to do this in my town or whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, what are some average things that you see consistently in the in the few that you've done?
0: Yeah, so it has a lot to do with the city, obviously, because every city is different. I mentioned Welland a minute ago, and we're continuing to invest in Welland because the city has been very progressive and proactively going after the investor community to say, say, hey, we're open for business coming to meetups and whatnot so the, the things you obviously look for are yes of course parking matters so one of the duplexes i did in welland i had to spend the five thousand dollars to widen the driveway right actually back to your point alfonso ha there's another expense i didn't quite think of right away right because mm-hmm. i thought because i think they, they some cities let you do tandem parking i think it's st Catharines. welland you have to be side by side so we had to widen the driveway of course ceiling height is the one you always have to be most careful about. I always love it when you go on a tour of properties with a bunch of investors. Sometimes you you visit 3 or 4 houses with uh with your coach, your realtor, and you walk in the door. You know you're with investors when nobody cares about the main floor. They go straight to the basement, right? Everybody's <laughs> everybody's in the basement looking around, talking, measuring, and then somebody says, "Hey, can we check out the kitchen on the main floor?" I'm like, "No, no, no, we don't care about that." <laughs> so, So yeah, so ceiling height matters a lot. So, you know, basically 6'5", ceiling height is kind of what you're looking for. You have to watch out for where the ducts uh, dip down. Sometimes right before you get into the furnace room, sometimes the ducts will dip. And I think some, depending on city you can get away with six one right under the ducts that we've seen. But in most cases, we try not to even risk that. We, we've we rearranged duct work to kind of maximize the ceiling height, which makes a better living experience anyways. But I'll tell you that eliminates a lot of properties right off the get-go. As you're out visiting properties, you look in the basement, you can walk right out in five seconds. If you just look that this is just not worth my time. So that's, that would be a big one for sure. And then, you know, obviously I think the other one that we always want to do properly is the electrical, right? So making sure that the, the panel can handle two families. So upgrading it to 200 amp service, completely splitting the panel. So you have an upstairs panel and a downstairs panel uh, so that they can pay their own hydro, right? And get their, put it in their own names. That's the best scenario. I do have an example of one property where I don't have that, where I have one electrical panel for an upstairs family and a downstairs family. That's a bit problematic. When somebody pops a breaker upstairs, guess who, guess who gets to flip the breaker? Downstairs, right? That's just not convenient. So I wouldn't do that again. I would always split the panels, spend the extra money to do that. Yeah. So, and I think for me, it's just, I mean, I I work with a contracting team that does this all the time. This is what they're doing, just putting in duplexes. And I really lean heavily on their advice, right? They're telling me, you got to watch this, you got to watch that. And I'm just like adding the numbers up, k, okay, 5K, 10K, 10K, oh, it's getting up there. And, but it's, I, I don't want to say that I've got all the knowledge myself. I surround myself with people that have the answers, right? And then in this case, it's my contractor who knows how to work with the cities to get permits done, who knows the city inspector. So when the inspector pops in, to see are you putting the right layer of drywall in? Are you doing the right insulation? Is it fireproof, interconnected smoke detectors? I hear about all these things. I'm not an expert, my guy is, right?
3: Yeah, and that's so important with working with somebody that has done that before. They know where kind of the, the quote-unquote landmines are to yeah. just stay avoid so that you know you can reduce those, those that rabbit hole of going down and spending thousands and thousands of dollars uh, over and over again. So yeah, and that, that brings up the next point, the, the contractor, so when, Obviously, are you working with like a general contractor that basically gets all in his sub trades? Are you hiring out certain things? And and when uh, and, and how did you find you know the right person and the right team? And, and how did you go through that interviewing process to, to find that those people?
0: Yeah, that was trial and error. So I did. So to answer the first part of your question, yes, I use a general contractor that does that does the full job, right? Who I trust implicitly, right? And that, and that's gotten that's taken a while to get to that point. Because I have been burned in the past, right, with contractors that have been not as great, not as forthcoming. Yeah. I don't I don't want to get into too much detail there, but I've I've learned my lessons and through that process I kind of met other contractors who I've since developed great relationships with who I just trust, right? I just trust. That sounded like I said, distrust. I just trust them.
2: It's <laughs> and- important for sure.
0: <laughs> so I think uh, we have a mutual respect, right? So I know roughly what the jobs are worth to get to, to, uh, to get the job done, so I know that they're not trying to fleece me with some bogus numbers, and in return, he knows that when he starts giving me his first invoices, like progress invoice number one, progress invoice number two, that I 'm not going to pick it apart, nickel and dime him. I'm just going to pay it, right And so we 've built that level of relationship and case in point, the house I mentioned a minute ago that when I, I put an offer on just a few days ago. I called that same contractor and I said, I have a home inspection on Friday. Can you come? Because I want to get a quote on the spot. He just, no problem. He drops what he's doing. He comes, right? And then we met up for lunch after we work on the quote together. And uh, that's, that's the kind of relationship I think is ideal, right? To get to that. So now we have like a really, like, I want, honestly, I want to be his best client. Now I'm not big enough to be his best client, but I want to be on his A client list in terms of I pay him on time. I am not a headache for him to manage me. I'm not questioning every one of his decisions. I'm not naive either, though, right? So we have, like I said, it's mutual respect.
2: Absolutely, and it really does go both ways. I mean, even for my contractors or my plumber, as an example, like as soon as I get an invoice, like I will pay it that same day. You never yeah. want to be that person that's late on paying them or nickel and diming. And you know, just as easily as you can drop them, they can drop you.
0: I think about it from our perspective as landlords too. You know that feeling of you just you know which of your tenants are a little bit tardy, but not they're not the ones that are on the ball with paying you rent on time. And when I say on time, I mean, you know, still on the first of the month, but it comes in at 11 o'clock at night, just as an extra little bit of stress to my life that I don't want. Right. Whereas I have some tenants that pay me the day like on the 31st of the month. Like, thank you. Like, I, yes. I appreciate that. Right. And, and because of that, I would give them a glowing reference to the next landlord that calls me. The person that pays me at eleven o'clock at night and sometimes slips into the second or the third just makes my stress boil, and I think about, I th- my my blood boil, and I think about that's the same way that that the contractor likely feels or any tradesperson, a plumber feels when they send me their invoice. I'm just going to pay it right away because I want them to remember the next time I call them. Oh, that guy paid me on time, right? Absolutely. Good contact. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And you want yeah, you want to make it as easy as possible. To work with the people out there in the same way that we're interviewing people that we work with they're doing the same thing mm-hmm. they, they interview us and, and get to choose us as well too totally so, totally yeah so well while, while doing this and converting you know and doing these basement suites you did say you have a you have full-time job as well too how do you balance real estate investing with a full-time job and what is a normal week day look like and, and how do you balance that all if yeah that, that, that famous word
0: balance right yeah what I would say to that is yes yeah, so I do work A pretty busy corporate job, and I've been in the same industry for 20 years, 22 years now, technology business. And let's just say I have a really good texting relationship with a lot of people, right? So I have, you know, contractor, broker, lawyer, whatever. I have them all on text, right? So throughout the course of the day, if something comes up, or if I'm in the middle of closing a transaction, or if we have a little bit of an issue we have to deal with, where I need a plumber or I need a handyman. I've kind of got the, the Rolodex, right? And they're in my phone and I can text people and they generally get back to me pretty quickly. So I, that's one thing. So it's kind of building up your little systems and your team to help keep your sanity. The second thing I will say is about six months ago, as my real estate investing has been continuing to grow and I've been purposely focusing on it because I want to build it up, I got to the point where I started thinking, what's my long-term plan here, right? So not long-term, what's my short to medium-term plan in terms of how long do I want to stay in corporate life versus should I be ramping up and building more passive income through uh, real estate? And I shouldn't have said the word passive income because we all know it's not that passive. And so about six months ago, I went and had that conversation with my, with my boss and we changed my role as a result, right? To say, because I, I put my cards on the table. I said, look, I've, I still need this job, but I don't want it to get in the way of what I'm also trying to build for my personal, my, my, my side hustle, my entrepreneurial drive that I have, right? I don't want this job to get in the way of that. So, he was awesome and he gave me the opportunity to change my role up, go part time and work from home. And that's kind of what I'm doing now. So, I, I mean, I still go to the office, which is about a 35, 40 minute commute, maybe once or twice a week for when there's a meeting I have to be at. But for the most part, I'm working remote. And I, I mean, I'm, I have strong ethics. I'm working my tail off for this company still, right? And even though I've kind of been qualified or classified as a, as a part time employee, I'm probably putting in closer to full-time hours still. let just just—I'm just keeping it real. I still—I'm still working at my tail off because I want to keep the income and the T four, which gets me mortgages, right? So that matters. And so, but but it's also giving me that flexibility so that if I know I have to be at a home inspection on a Friday morning, that's not going to be a problem.
2: Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, work ethic and and drive and all that stuff. I mean, obviously, that's why you you have the opportunity to do what you do because you've been there for a while and you've proven that you can do the work you do do the work i mean similar like me as well like i've earned the trust i've earned that based yep. on all of the stuff that i've done so it's nice to be able to to have a little bit more freedom Um, to be able to work from home if I need to work from home on a random day, but that doesn't happen overnight.
0: So I'm I'm glad to hear that. And congratulations. uh, Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I I always tell people your reputation is everything, right? And that's, that's your reputation in this circle of real estate investors, but also in the industry in which you work. Right. And so having great relationships with your colleagues and your peers. It's what gave me this opportunity to have a little bit more flexibility because I put in the time and I've been in, in the industry, like I said, 22 years, current company, four and a half, something like that. But as a result, I think it just it just some of those opportunities may not have presented them to me that way had I not have really kind of stuck it out. Awesome.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's key, right, is that you, you're getting the best of both worlds. You want to make sure that you're maintaining that income so that you can still qualify but you, you do have that flexibility that, like you said, you can go out to an inspection or go view a property or or go and have coffee with your contractor to talk about a future job. So yeah, 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 that, that, yeah that's a good that's a good healthy balance. So exactly. I guess, you know what? Like you've had a few different experiences with rents. Oh, now the basement suites. I guess, what are some negative or bad experiences or, you know, for those maybe people that haven't invested in, in a property before and, and they're scared because they, they hear about the horror stories and things like that. So we love... Hearing, like, you know, like, what's the worst thing? What's a bad experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, in five years time or so that I've been doing this, the worst experience is actually the one that I referred to at the beginning with that first, the RTO deal where the guy stayed on for for three years and then didn't work out. And I just say it was the worst because it got really, really nasty. Like, I'm talking, you know, multiple trips to the LTB. I'm talking a police report filed against uh, a partner of mine who was at the property to serve an N4 like nasty, nasty stuff, right? So very, very un, unhappy tenant that he was, that I think realized that he did not have an opportunity to, to buy this house that he thought he was going to buy. And I, I, I can't even say the number that we paid him to leave without choking, because it was a lot. Um, <laughs> but it was worth it in the end, because when we sold the property, we still cleared like $150,000, right? So I mean, it all worked out in the end. So you have to kind of keep the end in mind. But it was just a really uncomfortable, unpleasant experience working with that particular tenant. And it, it kind of it goes back to that point about screening. Do you have a rapport with your tenant? Can you imagine what a, the worst day is going to look like with this tenant? And I, didn't, I, didn't, I, was, I was a rookie when I put that guy in that, that property. I didn't mention that when he, when he finally did leave because he was so angry at us, he left the place in shambles. Like I walked in the door and I was prepared for the worst and I got it. I opened the door. There was garbage everywhere. There was old furniture everywhere. There was cat pee everywhere. I opened the garage door and I couldn't even get in. It was packed to the rafters of boxes and mattresses and just junk. The yard hadn't been kept up. It was just it was really, really bad. And of so I took a breath, I was like, all right, this is gonna be a good learning experience here. And so I called in a junk removal company, they quoted me $3,000 to take everything away. And I said, okay, I think I could probably be more creative than that. So instead, the same day I posted an ad on Kijiji, and I said, free for all garage sale. It's, there's a lot of junk in here, come and get it. And I, and I said, I'll be there at the house between, I, forget, I think it's between 12 and four tomorrow. I showed up at the house, there was a lineup at the door, people coming in, just junk collectors picking through garbage, they hauled almost, I would say 80 to 90% of the stuff was hauled out of the house. Some guy found a PS, a PlayStation four. I'm like, oh, I should have, I should have found that myself. <laughs> oh, well, you, you take it, man. <laughs> um, anyway, so like it was, it was just all sorts of like junk, right? They cleared it out. And then that then kind of took the next step was, okay, now we're going to hire the cleaners, get rid of the rest of the garbage. So we saved ourselves a bunch of money up front. We put in a little bit of our own sweat equity, did a, did a little bit of cleaning. I hired a deep cleaner. I hired a realtor, a stager a photographer. We did it all. And then we we ended up with a really, really good outcome in the end. And the property looked amazing once once we went through all that. But I will tell you, when we first walked in that door, and the stench of the cat urine and the garbage. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's. I think I, I love that, that. When we talk to different investors across different strategies, that seems to always be like the cat pee. Like that's always seems to be the common thing, right? Like a lot.
0: Why? Of, why why cat pee, right? <laughs>
3: I don't know. I think it's with tenants. I think it's like, I think with every tenant you have to own a cat as well too. And nothing against cats, but you shouldn't have like multiple and should be able to take care of them, but I think you know the 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 point that I, I take from from what your what your story is is yeah you looking at it in in your mind that was like a worst case scenario like oh my God what are we gonna do and you take a step back and you say okay here are the things we need to go about I'm sure you're not the first person that have experienced that you won't be the last that has gone through that somebody else has walked through that path and done that and ended up making lemonade out of lemons, right? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and turned into a positive experience. So Real estate is
2: very that. forgivable in the long term. That's yeah, right.
0: and you know, That's I think right. as you keep, you keep reminding yourself of that and you yeah. keep the end in mind and where this is gonna go and you realize it's, this is not that big of a deal, right? In fact, this happened in the fall, right? And so this was shortly after I was now, had a little more flexibility in my day. And so I kind of like took it as an opportunity, like you know what, I'm gonna go out to this property, we put a dump, rent a, a bin, put it on the driveway, and uh, we went for a day and just hauled out some other garbage on our own and, and just got our hands a bit dirty. And I don't know, once in a while, it actually feels good to do that, right? Like, because, you know, I spend a lot of time behind a desk in my corporate life. So sometimes it's fun, like get it out there. I, you know, managed to put a, a sledgehammer through a couple old TVs just for fun. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah,
3: manage, manage
0: the stress, right? So yeah. and and if you, you, A few yeah, days
2: that's... for a hundred grand is not too shabby. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
3: And. And that's, I think, uh, a common theme with a lot of the guests, a lot of the people that we talk to, a lot of the people that we meet at the right club. Is that when that's when you learn, right? Is that when something doesn't go perfectly according to plan and you have to go to a plan B or C or sometimes mm-hmm. D, right? That's when you're going to learn so that the next time you put something in place and moving forward. So yeah, thank you so much for, for being open and sharing that. And yeah, uh, no problem. Yeah. I think at this point we've reached our lightning round questions. So uh, Scott, are you ready for the lightning round? I am ready for the lightning round. All right.
1: It's now time for the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Daniel St. John. Do you think using other people's money is a strategy for other people? Not you? At Safe and Sound Real Estate Investment Group, Daniel's been teaching people just like you how to use other people's money for almost 10 years. To find out more, go to www.sasrig.com. That's com, And download your free copy of the special report, Arms Length RSP Mortgages, Canada's Best Kept Investment Secret. You'll be amazed at how you can leverage other people's money to help you finance as many real estate deals as you want.
2: Question number one, what is the best advice that you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Uh,
0: I think it's uh, get your head out of the spreadsheet, like stop thinking and take some action. I've heard that multiple times and and I continue to hear it and it continues to inspire me because I want to keep pushing myself to do another one, take another step, do another one. And you can, and it's, it it is easy to stop and always think and build awesome spreadsheets and then get lost in it. Right. So keep taking uh, action.
3: Yeah. I I love the people. Well, I I jokingly love the people that always say no, right. The no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And you can give perfect advice telling people never to do anything because you're never going to do anything wrong. Right. But you're never never going to do anything
0: right either. So Exactly. All
3: right. Question number two, what is your favorite real estate investing resource?
0: Well, I will first say I learn a lot from podcasts. So I listen to every podcast I think I've available in Canada, at least and that's real estate related. I listen to, but the best resource I would still have to say is my, my network, right? So that's where I get the most answers to my questions when I'm stuck. I don't feel stuck most of the time because I know the answer is there. So it's, it's the team, the power team or the dream team around me, and then even the extended circles around that, right? So, because I know that when I call my, my realtor or my coach, if they don't have the answer, they're going to help me find it, right? So, and that's just, that's really empowering feeling, right? So.
2: Okay. All right. Great. There you go. Great answer. Number three, what is the one attribute that has made you most
0: successful? I think I get a little bit obsessed uh, with things so, so when i have something in mind that i want to do regardless of what it is in this case like buying real estate i I'm, a, I'm obsessive so once i once it's in my mind i stick with it and i and i do it right and i think that yeah coupled with that advice i keep hearing of get your head out of the spreadsheet start taking action has made me successful
3: nice all right so to wrap up our lightning round and thank you so much for joining us this morning on a on a sunday morning but question number four. On a typical Sunday morning, what are you up to? What are you doing?
0: Mm. You mean you mean like not doing a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think for me, it's like, while I would like to say it's my time for, you know, reading, reflecting and meditation, I'm not quite that structured. <laughs> I kind of do what needs to be done, right? So if I can get some chill time in, I'm chilling. I'm going to chill out with the family, have breakfast at home and all that kind of stuff. But but like today, as an example, as soon as we're done here, I'm off to Hamilton. I've got five showings at a property that's going to be vacant in a month. So I'm showing it already. So I just do what needs to be done, right? I, to me, it's just another day. Uh, I got to keep hustling. I got to keep growing. And so, yeah, get her done. There you
2: go. Get her done. Scott, if our listeners wanted to reach out and know more about you other than uh, the right club, where can they go?
0: I have a website which has all my contact info on it, which is Scottzandbergen.com. You can reach me there. Um, and then there are links to my Instagram and Facebook and things like that. And I suppose you'll probably put them in the show notes. We so, definitely yeah. will. Absolutely.
3: Any, any last words of advice for the Right Club Nation for our listeners out there?
0: I think it just comes down to if you've got, if you've got this kind of burning desire to, to do something, you're coming to the meetings, uh, you know that there's an opportunity to build wealth through real estate, figure out what your next step is and do it. Like, and that next step could be something really small whether it's a new connection, whether it's a conversation with your broker, whatever it is, just do it. Don't put it off an extra week or two weeks. Schedule it right now so that your next action is going to happen on Wednesday morning or whatever it is. Take action.
2: Take action. I love it. On that note, Scott, thank you so much for all your insights and uh, being a guest on our show. And uh, we'll see you at our next event.
0: Absolutely. I'll be there.
3: Wow, what a great conversation and a great interview with Scott. Full, full of information. I know he was talking to your heart, Sarah, with the burst strategy, so.
2: I know, my ultimate favorite. I mean, it's awesome to be able to recycle money. And he does it in a really interesting strategy where he does the mortgage plus improvements, and so he's able to unlock some additional money as he gets through different phases of the construction. So that is a huge piece of insight and a great opportunity to talk to your mortgage broker about how to position that because, you may not only, like, if you don't have enough money, maybe you don't have enough money for all the rentals over time, you might be able to just get some of that back versus waiting until the very, very end to refinance. So there's definitely some some great tips that would probably be the the one I got that I wanted to write down and, and discuss. What about you?
3: Yeah, I loved that. Well, he talked a little bit about the rent-to-own and a little bit of how they go sideways and and what happened. And, and at the end of the day, he still... I guess had a nightmare tenant buyer Mm -hmm. had to give, he didn't even say the amount of money because he said he was going to make him throw up. But again, he still walked away with a positive, what was it? 150,000 of profit out of the deal, right? So there is still an upside to that, right? With owning real estate and having that. So I I liked it because I'm, you know, for more or less, I'm I'm pretty risk averse. So that was one of the key things for me was that even in a worst case scenario, he's still kind of able to get other unscathed and real estate does allow that to kind of that margin of error to be in there, and just yeah, just that he has now gone to part time. Now there's something that his side hustle is kind of not on the side so much anymore. It's kind of coming to the forefront, right? And 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 doing that, and I love that, and empowering, and and getting that time, and owning your time. And yes, it's hard work. It's not like oh, I I you know I work for myself, and I'm just not going to do anything and and quit and retire. And that's not what it's about. It's about having that time. I always joke around. I work 80 hours a week, so I don't have to work 40 for somebody else. Just the fact that he is able to progress and with a number of properties and now going part-time and, and he's been in the industry for 20 years, it sounds like he still likes what he does, but now he has that flexibility to also do more and more real estate, so. mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely, I mean, it's really inspiring. I mean, he's built something incredible in only five years time. So I think that if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, you know, it might be too late or how long is this gonna take? I mean, it is definitely a slow game, but in five years, I mean, you know, look at where we were five years ago, like, you, and look look where Scott was five years ago. I mean, you can really create a different life for yourself Mm -hmm. and it really doesn't take a whole lifetime to do it. It's not gonna be a year or two, but you definitely can change your life in five years, and I thought that was uh, great that he started only five years ago and he's accomplished what he's accomplished now.
3: Yeah, that's right. Those those small steps, even if it's just a little bit at a time. Looking at five extra deals a day, talking to three extra people, little by little. It's a patience, and you know, and that's the the whole thing. Is you hear different people on different stages, not on our stages, but you know, practicing, you know, getting rich quick now, and you can do it now, and overnight successes. Yeah, and like you, you see all those overnight successes. It takes like a number of years to become an overnight success right so it's keep grinding keep doing it and kind of trusting in that process and and yeah he's a perfect example of that so yeah Absolutely. guys we, we really hope that you like the podcast uh, definitely um, go on iTunes rate review we're on we're on stitcher uh, I don't even know all the different different spots but get out there whatever way you're listening to this podcast right now please rate review it We love the emails, the feedback that we're getting back to us. We're getting emails right at us. Alfonso at The Right Club. There's Sarah uh, at The Right Club. So emails, but definitely go and rate and review. It helps bolster up the the podcast so more people can see it. We want to help as many people as we can. So don't keep us a secret. If you liked it and you like what we're doing, please share, rate, review, and tell us what you want to hear more of or less of.
2: Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alfonso, for being a great co-host. And uh, you guys, if you want to send us an email or come to our club, feel free to uh, let us know if you haven't been there yet. So thanks so much, guys. See you next week. Bye.
3: Thanks
1: for listening to The Right Club Podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.